Welcome to Neo Chats, an interview-style podcast focusing on educating neonatal nurses, caring for newborns and their families, hosted by Jenna Morton. It is a project of the Canadian Association of Neonatal Nurses, a nonprofit organization committed to the health and well-being of newborns and their families. Hello, and welcome to Neo Chats. I'm your host, Jenna Morton, and I'm thrilled to be joined on this episode by Professor Blair Henry. He holds many titles and positions, including as senior ethicist with the Health Ethics Alliance. He currently works at Sunnybrook Health Science Center in North York General Hospital in Toronto, Ontario, as well as with the Department of Family and Community Medicine at the University of Toronto. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Looking forward to having this conversation, Jenna. So am I. I've been, uh, I've been delving into it a little bit since you sent the title along, and uh, I think it's going to be a really fantastic conversation. And right. so we'll just, we'll start right there with that. You've, you know, we've framed the title of this episode as Deep Caring and Moral Distress, Healthcare's Gordian Knot. Yeah. So I'll let you start with a little breakdown of, of the terminology in there. Absolutely. Uh, so listeners will hopefully know about uh, most of the, you know, the deep caring and the moral distress, but I would like to delve into those definitions as well. But the Gordian knot is kind of a unique twist to it. It's a legend that's typically associated with Alexander the Great and his conquering of, you know, various parts of the uh, ancient world. And it's kind of a metaphor that's used to talk about intractable problems that can be solved, though, by finding an approach that renders the constraints moot by, um, by virtue of just, you know, thinking about them and, uh, and just applying, you know, good logic to a situation and, uh, and working it through. So hopefully, as we continue the conversation, the reason that I use this metaphor uh, of the sort of unbinding and being free of restraints will kind of make more sense to the listeners as well. So another word, that, another word that I'd like to unpack is, of course, this idea of deep caring. You know, it's a, it's a term that um, in contemporary lingo, I think we would hear it as transpersonal caring, that, you know, most people in healthcare are attempting to do that. But I think it's unique in the NICU or, you know, sort of neonatal intensive care unit. The definition is that when, you know, it's, it's happening when one caring connects with and embraces the spirit of another through an authentic, full attention to the here and now and conveys a concern for the inner life and personal meaning of the other. So it's a bit convoluted there, but uh, it's, it is about that deep connection. And I think it's a unique trait that is um, embedded, I think, in most of the NICU uh, teams that I've been involved with, because um, they're, they're providing, you know, care to the most vulnerable uh, little lives that, that exist. And, you know, they're, it's not un, uncommon for many uh, NICU nurses to refer to them as their own little babies, right? Uh, they're caring for them in, in such a profound and deep way. And I think that, you know, that, that bond of deep caring really does exist as a normative way that they connect with these babies. And then, of course, you know, the definition of moral distress, that's been around uh, for you know, uh, since 1984, uh, this professor, um, Andrew Dameton, uh, from the University of Minnesota, coined the phrase uh, when he was writing a book on nursing ethics. And it's, it's a phenomena in which basically he says that we know what the right action is to take, but there's some constraint that 
prevents us from doing that action or taking that action. And it's a bit different from looking at, you know, ethical issues and ethical dilemmas. I think we've done a great job trying to teach medical staff about how to approach, you know, ethical theory, but we didn't, we haven't done a great job about talking about this issue of moral distress. And I hope we'll also get a chance to talk a little bit about some associated concepts with that, such as moral residue and the crescendo effect, you know, that will helpful, hopefully fill out that, that conversation. So those are the key terms, I think, that uh, are important to lay out at the beginning of our chat. So let's stay here with this idea of moral distress and dig a little bit deeper into, into that and how it impacts our nurses. Yeah, I think that that's a great avenue to pursue a little bit. I think the real understanding of what moral distress is, is, is embedded actually into the definition that I just read out. And the definition really had three components. The first one is that it's an emotional state. It's an emotional state that really rises from knowing what the right thing to do is. So that's the second point. What is knowing about what the right thing to do is? And the third and final you know, part of the definition is it's that... Uh, but being restrained in some way from doing it and what causes those restraints and how can we address those restraints. So I think, you know, looking at it from those three components might be helpful. You know, I think that moral distress, its power is really in its ability to kind of manifest really strong emotions, you know, and on the surface, those emotions will appear to be like anger, frustration, resentment. Um, but I, you know, believe that if you flip that rock over, and what is beneath that are oftentimes of individuals feeling belittled, not seen as intelligent enough to contribute to the conversation, or not viewed as important enough by perhaps their team to add to the conversation or to, to you know, look at ways to address that, the issues that are being presented. So it helps to understand the difference between emotional distress and moral distress, because they're, they're kind of, you know, sort of similar. But with the moral distress, of course, we have this issue of what is, what's the thing we should be doing? Now, I want to talk a little bit about knowing what the right thing to do. It's been theorized that moral distress, you know, amongst the nurses is when a nurse knows what is best for the patient, but that course of action conflicts with what is best by the organization or by other care providers or maybe the patients and the family or society as a whole. So you have a lot of potential knowings that come into a dilemma, such as, you know, caring for a vulnerable neonate, you know, moral distress occurs when the internal environment for nurses, their own values and perceived obligations, what they feel they should be doing, seem to be incompatible with the needs and views of the external work environment. So they're sitting there providing care, but they feel, you know, what they truly value and what they perceive to be what their duty is and calling as a nurse cannot happen for some reason because of the situation that they find themselves in. So knowing, you know, if you look at, um, you know, a simple example, you know, efforts to prolong life, we can, you know, use a lot of technology to do that. And from one vantage point, that can look like aggressive and, and um, but hopeful acts to try and heal a, a patient. But from another perspective, it can be also a manifestation of really doing a lot of harm by causing enduring suffering. So we need to ask ourselves, you know, what do we know? How do we know this? And acknowledge that there's different knowns that are going to be in, encountered in the care of a single patient. And that no one's knowledge 
is to be, you know, necessarily more valued than another's. They all need to be heard and, you know, and worked with. And then, you know, the third part of the definition was really about being restrained. And what does that mean? Well, there's two types of restraints. There's like internal restraints that we have ourselves. And then there's the external restraints. And internal restraints might be like, you know, I, I, if I speak out, I'll fear losing my job. Um, you know, I'm having a lot of self-doubts about what I think is the right thing to do, or I have lack of confidence. I'm not, you know, good at being that, you know, sort of alpha personality in a, in a team, um, or general, you know, anxiety. Who likes to create conflict? And ethical dilemmas usually involve, you know, conflict of, of sorts. Now, if we look at the external restraints, then, you know, there are classic issues of power imbalances, whether it's the nurse versus the doctors, uh, but it could be families versus healthcare teams or any number of um, power imbalances that are just inherent in the work environment. Um, oftentimes, the restraints are the result of just bad communications, people not be able to, to communicate clearly with each other. Uh, the big one, uh, mostly in the U.S., but also we see it in Canada, is fear of litigation. You know, yeah, we should say something, but you know what? They they might sue us, and uh, you know, so let's not do that. Or, you know, some of the hospitals, um, many of us actually had pressures being applied to us, pressures to you know make more room for other sick babies, or you know, uh, bed spacing and cost restrictions. There are a number of restraints that happen in healthcare. And then, you know, sometimes we just have policies that really conflict with patient care needs at times. And, uh, and those can be feelings of, you know, areas of restraint for individuals. I would think that there would be some additional ones right now in terms of, you know, we're recording this in June 2020. We're a few months into the COVID-19 pandemic, which is a whole other layer of constraints. Oh, yeah. No, totally. I think going into this COVID-19 uh, pandemic, we had a lot of uncertainty. Number one, like, you know, how is this going to impact, you know, little babies? Uh, are they going to, are they more vulnerable as a population than, uh, you know, than others? I mean, we knew that, you know, elderly uh, were highly vulnerable, but we didn't know what, you know, sort of premature babies might uh, be encountering from this. And it wasn't until, you know, and I think you've had another speaker uh, on this series who's addressed the, the medical issues. Uh, but there's the typical issues of just duty to care, you know, uh, working with, you know, limited resources, um, you know, will we have enough personal protective equipment? You know, we had to really do some strong limitations on visitation. And, you know, childbirth is a time of celebration and families want to come and they, you know, everybody wants to see the newborn, but, you know, that's, that's not possible in this sort of environment. And then you have the, you know, the personal versus professional conflicts that can arise gosh, I don't want to give this to my family when I go home from work. What should I prioritize? How should I do this? So yeah, there was a lot of um, additional uh, sources of, you know, moral distress that, that come along with the COVID-19 um, as, we've, as we've discovered and uh, dealt with over the past three months. And so how do you see all these pieces coming together? And then, like you said, trying to, to find a way to unravel things? You know, I think that, um, you know, moral, well, we have to remember that moral distress is an experience of the person, primarily. It's not an experience of the situation on its own. So, uh, and that's why you'll see, you know, that you'll have people around the bedside, you know, both of all, you know, uh, professional um, uh, 
sides, where some will be okay with what we're doing and others will not. And that's not to say that those that are okay uh, are somehow, you know, morally deviant from the others or bankrupt, or that those who feel really that we're doing the wrong thing are overly sensitive. Uh, and, and moral distress causes that rift within teams. And that's the other, you know, though it's, it's an experience of the person, in its manifestation and its discussion can really cause that, you know, team to break down at times. Um, you know, when we're asking what is it we're trying to do when we do what we do, you know, that's a, an issue that, um, you know, continually gets faced. I mean, you know, there's multiple sources of, you know, moral distress issues, um, like continuing life support. I think that was the example I gave initially you know, inappropriate use of healthcare resources. Why are we spending all this time and effort on this one baby, but not the other? Is it just because, you know, the parents are much more, you know, stronger advocates, inadequate staffing? How do you expect us to give good care? You know, and that's another issue with COVID where we had to, you know, change the structure of care in some of the units. Uh, it made people feel, you know, distressed uh, morally, that they weren't able to do the care that they felt they could do. And, you know, in some patients, of course, families want you to not give pain medication, um, and that's distressing, or, uh, or some people in the team are giving false hope to patients and families or, you know, to family members, and you're sitting there, you know, having to uh, listen to that, and, you know, do you support your team member, or do you, con you know, address the conflict with them or the, you know, the concerns with them? It's, there's just lots of those sources, and they're not unique to the NICU. I think they're, they're unique, or they're you know, emblematic of all healthcare, because I really think that healthcare is really value care. That's what I consider it. It's what, what do you value? Do you value more life or quality of life? Um, you know, do you value more independence or more dependence? Are you okay with that? Yeah, I, I think that understanding of the value care component of it really makes moral distress, I think, much more understandable. And the problem with moral distress is that yeah, you know, discharging that family or that patient or the, the death of that patient makes the problem go away eventually. You know, the situation has a, a way of resolving itself. But the moral distress doesn't go away. It kind of, some of it stays uh, with, you know, with the, uh, you know, sort of healthcare team. And that's the moral residue that, uh, you know, that I think um, is important to consider. It just, it's residue that continues to build. And then when the next situation arises, you're not starting from zero baseline. You are starting from where that moral residue level is. And so you have this crescendo effect that we call uh, when we look at moral distress, which is just, it keeps accumulating and goes higher and higher to a point where, you know, it's not unheard of for, you know, especially in nursing to, uh, to see people leave the profession or change, you know, change their jobs um, simply because they've just burnt out and had too much uh, and felt, you know, unsupported in the work they were doing for some reason. There's some tools that have been developed to help staff address moral distress. One of them came out of the uh, American Association of Critical Care Nurses, and they called this approach like the four A's of, uh, of addressing moral distress. The first one is to really ask yourself, are your colleagues experiencing moral in this situation? Because people tend to like to suffer in silence until you know, they get to that breaking point. So be more proactive, asking those questions. And then when people do say that they're you know, feeling distress, to not single them out as being you know, aberrant, uh, affirm those feelings because that person's moral integrity 
is being threatened, no matter what we think. Um, and, you know, what role could you or should you play in, uh, in helping your colleague? And then sometimes, you know, assessing, uh, put the facts together, because that's oftentimes what we're getting is misinformation. You know, I thought that that's what we were doing, but I, now I see that you've told me that's not what we're doing. And, and that can help, you know, relieve a lot of the distress. But, you know, trying to find out a common meaning of what the right action might be and why would it make it right and how can we prepare to act in that way? What do we need to do? And then, you know, finally just acting, you know, creating a plan and then implementing it. So those were their kind of four, four A's to, um, to addressing moral distress. No, I really like that. I think that uh, it's a bit of a, a hopeful spot to, to land on to have those four A's in your head as a, a tool that you could use when you're in the situation. Yeah, and, you know, and, but it, it takes, you know, leadership in the unit to, you know, to be able to look from above and just say, okay, hey, everybody, let's stop and let's, let's talk about this. This is happening here. And it needs to have, it needs to be safety based. So, you know, some hospitals and some units are creating um, what they call ethical culture surveys. And um, so, you know, you're asked openly to talk about how, how ethical is your team? How safe is your team uh, environment to be able to bring up these tough issues? Um, and oftentimes that can reveal, out of, you know, not a context of a specific baby or patient in the bed, but just generally, you know, cumulatively, you know, do you feel it's okay to bring up these issues with your colleagues or do you feel judged or silenced? Uh, what would make, you know, um, that more inducive to being able to, uh, to deal with these issues? So, you know, I think that, yeah, good leadership and that attempt to try and, you know, address it more from a systematic, systemic level is going to be helpful. Um, and, and many, you know, patient care managers have called ethics in to help with debriefing sessions. And, um, and some units have even got moral distress consultation teams. So, you know, you would, you know, as, as you would call for a moral dilemma or an ethical dilemma, you can call for a moral distress uh, consult and just, you know, take time and slow things down and, again, go through that, you know, something like the four A's, but, you know, just acknowledging that this is tough work and it's, it's important that we look after each other in doing that tough work. Those kinds of steps can be initiated and some, some organizations are doing that, uh, which is great. It is. That's very, very heartening to hear that we're thinking about these things now much more than I think we, we used to. Oh, totally. Yeah. Many sort of these goalposts in healthcare, you know, like patient safety, costs and uh, length of stays and efficacy of care have now been augmented by staff well-being, staff, you know, contentment and happiness in doing the work. Um, because if you don't have, um, you know, like I said, we can have all the PPEs that we would want in the world, but if our staff is sick, you know, it takes people to do the work and those people need to be as healthy as possible and to be acknowledged uh, for the hard work they do. And uh, so I'm glad to see, you know, on, even on a more organizational level that these metrics are being, you know, considered as, a, as something to watch and to address if they go down below a certain level. I thank you very much for taking the time to chat with me about it. 
thank you for having me. Um, I hope, uh, you know, it's a, it's a big issue and, uh, you know, 15 minutes, I think we were able to just uh, give some, some of the highlights of it. But um, yeah, I, I'm really happy that the, uh, you know, Canadian Association uh, has viewed this as a topic they wanted to, uh, uh, to highlight on this series. So great work, Jenna. Thank you. I think it's, uh, like you said, it, it might only be 15 minutes, but that 15 minutes will stay in someone's head and, and hopefully will will help keep moving things along. Excellent. Thank you so much. <laughs> Bye. Blair Henry is a senior ethicist with the Health Ethics Alliance. He currently works at Sunnybrook Health Science Centre and North York General Hospital in Toronto, Ontario, as well as with the Department of Family and Community Medicine at the University of Toronto. NeoChats is a project of the Canadian Association of Neonatal Nurses. This series is supported by an unrestricted educational grant by Pampers. The content producer and host is Jenna Morton. Technical production by Tosh Taylor of the Podcast Hub. For more information on the association, visit our website at www.neonatalcan.ca or our Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram pages.